Hello and welcome to Spoken Like a Native podcast. My name is Diane. I'm an English teacher from Scotland and a devoted language learner. And this podcast is for those learning English to improve their listening and vocabulary with episodes on engaging topics like culture, current events, history and how languages work. If you want to improve your speaking and listening, head over to speakmeters.com where you can take part in small group conversations hosted by native speakers. This is an amazing way to boost your fluency, expand your vocabulary and increase your confidence by practicing with qualified, certified and selected native speakers who really enjoy helping people. There are sessions at a range of levels for English, French, Spanish and German, so book your first session today speakmeters.com and don't forget you can take part in this podcast by telling me your ideas for topics information about how to get in touch with us is in the description enough beating around the bush let's get this episode underway hello so this is episode three of spoken like a native This is part two of myths and stereotypes about Britain and British people. In the end, this topic has become quite big for me. So I think what I'm going to do is talk about a few today and then I'll move on to a different topic and we'll pick up the myths later on. So Britons are royalists and the UK is a monarchy. What's a royalist? Well, a royalist is someone who believes that the monarchy is a great idea, they support it. They love the king. I always am about to say the queen because the queen has always been there until recently. Now we have her son, the king, King Charles. Okay, so what's the answer? The short version, are Britain's royalists? To some extent, about 54% of us are. Is the UK a monarchy? Yeah, but not really in a technical sense. Does it sound complicated? Well, it kind of is. As the English poet Tennyson once noted, Britain is a crowned republic, one in which the monarch reigns but, but, does, but does not rule. Currently, the monarchy has a broadly ceremonial role. That means that to all intents and purposes, the UK behaves like a republic, but the monarch and the royal family have a role in national rituals and procedures. The king is the head of state, but his powers are symbolic and ceremonial. And, this is important, he remains politically neutral. The king receives daily dispatches from the government, so that's like daily updates, daily information. And they have to be written down because everything's, you know, official and old-fashioned. He gets them in a red leather box. So he gets these pieces of paper in a red leather box every day. Uh, including things like policies and upcoming events, as well as documents that he needs to sign. So basically, he needs to sign off on everything, but he doesn't decide anything, and he doesn't give his opinion about anything that either the government or the opposition are doing or talking about. In my experience, most British people I know are vaguely in favor of the monarchy, for purely pragmatic or utilitarian reasons. So, in the fact of having a royal family with a long and interesting history and many fascinating buildings and artifacts means that this attracts a lot of tourism and foreign interest to the country. So, for the reasons of maintaining tourism, why not 
maintain an active royal family. It's a lot of what you can call pomp and circumstance that attracts people. People go to London and they watch the changing of the guard or they go and stand outside Buckingham Palace and they look through the gates and they see the nice pretty horses or they go to the Tower of London. That's quite an interesting place. Lots of things that you can go and see. You can see the crown jewels. But what do the opinion polls say? An opinion poll is when they go an independent institution. Uh, it's the, the whole purpose of this place called YouGov is to find out what people think about things and they get people's opinions by surveying them based on different types of categories. So they try and get a, a broad range of types of people uh, living in the country. Um, so the latest opinion poll regarding the monarchy shows about 54% of people surveyed having overall positive views about the institution of monarchy. So that means that they thought when they were asked the question, is it good to have a monarchy, do you approve generally? Not about Charles specifically. And so 54% of people were in favor, but they thought it was a positive thing generally. But we see that opinions vary a lot comparing each member of the royal family. So if you look at King Charles and Prince William, they were held in very positive regard, or mostly by 62% for King Charles and 69% of respondents thinking, so Charles was 62, William was 69% of people were in favor of him or had a positive opinion. But if we look at Prince Harry's results, he only had an approval rate of 26%, which is not good. That might change in the future. We'll see what happens. Um, actually, 64% of people had a negative view of him. Um, things were quite bad also for his wife, Meghan, but basically the same. However, things were even worse for Prince Andrew, who was only seen positively by 7% of people and disliked by 86%. Imagine 80, you're a prince of a country and 86% of your population your so-called subjects um, in the old-fashioned sense do not like you. However, the Queen's other children, Prince Edward and Princess Anne, had over 50% positive ratings. If you don't know why Andrew is so unpopular, then a quick Google search should explain it for you. Um, the less said about him, the better. Um, but it's hard to avoid thinking that the behaviour of Andrew and the scandals provoked by Harry bring the monarchy and therefore the country into disrepute. But I would like to answer that with a quote from Oscar Wilde. There is only one thing in life worse than being talked about, and that is not being talked about. Therefore, the scandals and also the positive contrast provided by Prince William and also Charles bring attention to an ancient part of British culture. And we do live in an attention economy. Of course, a lot of British people would prefer the UK to be a republic and to abolish the royals, seeing them as parasites and outdated fossils from a bygone era. This is especially true in the smaller nations that in the UK, such as in Scotland, whose politics have historically been more socialist than England's, and where class divides are much less prominent. We can see that in the data where royals have a slightly lower rate of favour in Scotland than in England. Actually, looking at Wales, I was surprised that they were quite positively viewed, but 
Wales is closer to England, I guess. Many people complain about the money that the British royal family receives from the taxpayers of the UK. Of course, to have something that looks and feels like a proper monarchy, you have to spend a lot of money on educating, clothing, housing, and serving a group of people who have to look and feel and seem like a, a different class of people, a, an elite. So that does cost a lot of money to keep them in that way, with very high quality. Every aspect of their life has to be really um, cared for a lot. And they, of course, they need security and they need staff, lots of things like that. And the properties that they own or they live in are expensive to keep. So to quickly summarize, the UK is a ceremonial monarchy, but we have a democratically supposedly elected government who make political decisions about things that concern people. Um, there are aspects of the UK which are not extremely democratic, but basically a, a democracy. Um, but we have a monarchy which serves a ceremonial role. And about 50% of people are in favor of it. So you can't necessarily say that all British people are hugely in favor of the monarchy. Um, I think actually the death of the Queen in, in some ways highlighted some, some um, what would we say, some points of uh, conflict because on the media everything about um, what was happening with the death of the Queen and with what was going to be coming afterwards with um, the funeral was absolutely, in my opinion, over the top and you didn't hear very much criticism about either about the queen or about the royal family in general and that was a bit suffocating um if you ever turned on the tv or the radio provided by the um you know by main mainstream radio or tv channels everything was about the death of the queen and the funeral and it was just too much really and i think that highlighted to some people okay we are in some sense, kind of hanging on to this idea. And a lot of people were shocked by the fact that many people went down to wait in a queue to walk past the coffin of the Queen. And they waited hours and hours overnight. And some people said it was the best experience of their life. For people like me, um, I remember my family watching this coverage on the news and thinking, we're just not, I mean, we're Scottish. So like I said, generally not really in favor of monarchy it just seemed a little bit crazy i i personally don't know anyone who's a big royal fan so yeah i think there there is often a difference between the image that is put onto the media about what british people like and their opinion but i doubt that there's going to be any french style revolution anytime soon just purely for tourism reasons so on that kind of pessimistic note, let's go down to the next one. So the next myth is this idea that there is such a thing as a British accent. Okay, so why is this a myth? Well, it's because, of course, there are many, many different British accents. There's not only one. And I wonder if you, as someone learning English, can think of what voice do you think of when you think of British English? Maybe it's someone like Stephen Fry very posh um, Cambridge educated um, public speaker maybe it's the new monarch 
King Charles, maybe it's Queen Elizabeth II who died the end of last year. There are usually the big representatives of British English tend to have what's called RP or received pronunciation. They have a very classic way of speaking, which in most cases has been trained by education and the, the workplace they're in, sometimes with actual classes of elocution of how to speak. But in reality, that's a quite a small elite group of people with a lot of money and privilege, so the aristocratic, the upper class, who speak in a very posh way. Nowadays, the media is using a wider range of different accents, but you can still see there's this emphasis on trying to tone down the regional accents when we have people talking on the news, talking on TV. And that's because our regional accents are quite different. And for some people, it's quite difficult to understand someone, for example, um, from the northeast of Scotland, they might find that accent particularly different and difficult if they're from the southeast of England, for example. And so if you had to guess, how many British accents do you think exist? If you think about Northern Ireland, if you think about Scotland, Wales, England, how many different accents do you think we could identify? It's actually more than 40. So there's more than 40 different British accents. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here, just to give you a flavor. The first person that you're going to hear is a woman who was called Diana Mosley. She was a famous aristocrat who was friendly with Hitler. Um, I find the way that she talks absolutely fascinating, um, and it, I, I really love it. So let's hear what he, how she sounds. You, you perplexed me because you did keep on saying you were poor. Yes. Now, it was poor in comparison yes. to the very rich, I'd imagine, uh, wasn't it? Of course, that's utter nonsense. We were poor, but we were poor compared with rich people, I'll put it like that. <laughs> but was it your father who insisted that you were poor? Well, you see, he, he inherited in a rather difficult way, because I think there were immense death duties, double death duties, and so he never felt taught rich. He felt it just on the edge of being very poor. So in case you didn't catch that, that was Diana Mosley, an incredibly wealthy upper-class woman, saying that she didn't feel, or her, her father didn't feel rich when they were growing up. He perceived himself to be poor. Um, and you can see in the way that she speaks, there's a lot of something which we call vocal fry, which is when you, know, you kind of uh, relax, you don't really vocalize properly. And um, the way the vowels are made is quite distinctive. Um, there are probably hardly any people at all who really speak like that. Nowadays, it's an accent more or less from the past. But if you listen to the royal family, they kind of, they're similar. So the next person, uh, let's have a listen to Jonathan Ross and Ramesh Ranganathan. Both of them are from the kind of um, southeast of England. It's uh, good to have Ramesh here. I, yes. I, I think you're just a delight on TV. I love watching you. I love hearing you do comedy. You are, of course, a vegan. 
Yes, I sort of, uh, I've, I've been on here for about 10 seconds, I should mention it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking, because I know you've been filming away a lot, you've done a lot of travel shows, I know you went to Albania, which is uh, Rita's... Uh, I went to Albania, I got a tattoo, I got the Albanian flag. Oh, I got exactly tattooed. the same one. Really? On my arm. No. Yes, it's a double-headed, the old double-headed. Yeah, it's not eagle, that's so crazy that you got that. I know, I know, uh, yeah, a mistake. Um... <laughs> So Ramesh Ranganathan, the guy who was speaking at the end, is a comedian, so he's always making fun of himself. Um, he's He has Sri Lankan um, origins, but as you can see from the way he speaks, he speaks exactly like anyone from the area that he's from, which I think is uh, very near to London. He sounds exactly like anyone else would. And Jonathan Ross as well is a very famous guy who is a TV presenter and a radio presenter mainly. And he has this kind of quite um, working class London accent. Now, there will be a transcript for these episodes that I'm doing. So if you want to follow along, you can use the transcript to help your comprehension, your understanding. But in the first time that you listen, you don't have to worry about understanding everything. All I want you to do is to focus on how different different accents can be within the same country and see if you can hear the differences between them. And now moving on, we're going to go to Wales. So here is Rod Gilbert, who is a Welsh comedian. In case it is difficult to follow, he is going to be talking about how he tries to get good presents for people, but he receives bad presents. Get the rubbish. I give people good things. It's not that. It's not that problem of, you know, I give people good. I gave my girlfriend an iPad. Do you know what she gave me? She gave me a toothbrush. Firstly, a cheeky cow is like giving somebody deodorant. This is... I wouldn't have minded an ordinary toothbrush. This is the monstrosity she got me. I said, how much did you spend on this? She said, oh, it was on sale, Rod. It was really cheap. It was only $179.99. Again, Rod Gilbert is another comedian. Uh, I really recommend his stuff. He's really funny. You can search for him on youtube it's rod as in r-h-o-d gilbert i think he's a really talented comedian and he's from wales and you can see there has a slightly more singing type quality to the welsh accent and they also often trill the r so r make the r sound but yeah you can see all the variety of the different accents so let's have a listen to Lorraine Kelly and Robert Carlyle. Um, so there's an interview between Lorraine Kelly and Robert Carlyle. And Robert Carlyle is a actor. If you've seen Train Spotting, then he is the scary character. He's called Begbie. He's a hard man. He's like a gangster, very violent guy. Um, but he's a very good actor. He's been in many things. So let's have a listen to the Glaswegian, the accent from Glasgow. You know that way, I love the first one so much. Yeah. And there's always a wee bit of, I'm not sure, is it going to be as good? Is it? Yeah. I bet uh, you probably f- felt like that a little exactly bit. Exactly the same thing. A certain, I mean, uh, you know, looking forward to doing it, but a certain trepidation as well, because yeah. so many people loved the first film throughout the world. People loved this movie, so you, you had to try and make sure you got it right. Absolutely. Well, you did. All <laughs> of you did. All of you did. 
It was never really in any doubt, though, that this was going to happen. It was just a matter of getting everything in yeah. place, do you think? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I, we'd always thought that it was in the ether, it was always going to happen yeah. at some point. Because, but, you know, he is the hard man. It's difficult for us to show a clip this oh, time in the morning because, I don't of, think the, you show anything, <laughs> because of the sweariness <laughs> and the serious swearing. But really, you, that must have been great for you as well, to, to show a lot more. There, there, there was an actual fact. <clears throat> There's another book, in fact, called The Blade Artist, which came out in the springtime there, and that kind of takes Begbie onto a different place. So how are you doing with the ability to understand? Um, for me, all of the accents sound amazing, different, great, really lovely to listen to. But I wonder if, if you get in touch, tell me which accents are more difficult or more easy to understand. Did you hear anything that um, Robert Carlyle and Lorraine Kelly were saying? Or was it all just a blur? If you are struggling to follow what's being said, you can look at the transcript as you're listening. You can also skip back to the beginning of the clip, play it again, repeat it um, as many times as you need, or just skip ahead to the next one. Most podcast platforms will have the facility for you to slow down or speed up what's being said so they were Glaswegian they're from Glasgow um, so let's continue our little tour with Sarah Milliken if we go a bit south from Scotland we go to the north east of England to the Newcastle area some of you might have noticed I've got new glasses. I went to the optician. I went to the little room with the lady and the computer she brought my record up on the screen she said can I ask you a question I said yes of course she said have you been going somewhere else? And I thought, I've never been accused of cheating on me optician before. <laughs> I said, no, why? She said, I haven't had your eyes tested since 2012. It's quite a long time ago, which surprised me. I've been wearing glasses since I was six years old. Give me a woe if you also wear glasses. <laughs> Loads of it. Maybe some of you are like me. I normally love an eye test because to me it's a fun quiz and then I can see again. Like, what's not to like? So that's Sarah Milliken, who is a professional comedian. Uh, the same as Rod Gilbert and Romesh Ranganathan, who I mentioned before. And she has a beautiful Newcastle-type accent. As you can hear, she speaks quite fast. But what you could do is search for her videos on YouTube and slow them down. So that's something you can always do, which I think is a really good idea for your language studies, is to speed up or slow down what you're listening to or watching, depending on if it's really easy or if it's too difficult. It can really help you get used to um, vocabulary or ways of speaking that are not something that you're familiar with. So just getting used to branch out and try different things, just make it slightly easier for yourself. Okay, and the next example, if we go from Newcastle, we go down the country a bit um, in England, and we go to the north of England, Yorkshire area, and we go to Sheffield. These are um, musicians. You've probably heard of the Arctic Monkeys, and they're from Sheffield. We've always tried to sort of naturally go somewhere else, but it also picks up where the other one left off in a way. And we've always tried to do that a little bit. And it's anything other than that feels a bit forced. So I think it is, yeah, I think it all makes sense as a journey. How did you go about looking for that light bulb moment, I suppose, with this one? So when, when did that come for you, Matt? It's hard to pinpoint the moment just because of the way it was like a lot of it was put together like after the fact we had like all these elements to like make into a record so that's Sheffield for you one last accent before we move on to a different topic 
I would encourage you though, go and search each of these accents, get some practice in listening to them. There's so much variety. I know I haven't chosen, I haven't um, shared <laughs> every different type of accent that's possible, but I mainly wanted to make sure that we had Wales and Ireland and Scotland in there in the mix. And we have a few different English ones there too. So one last one from Northern Ireland. This is Jamie Dornan. Uh, we, if there's any phrase that's used more than crack, it's we. We'll be like, oh, I'm going to have a wee cup of tea. Even though you're having a totally normal sized cup of tea, it'll be, we'll say a wee cup of tea. Or if you're like in a shop, the man or woman will be like, do you want a wee bag with that? But you're just getting a normal sized bag. <laughs> it's very, very strange. There we have it. That kind of quick accent tour of the UK. Of course, I can't cover all of them. I'm planning to do another episode in the future, not just about British accents, but about the different wide range of pronunciation that you can hear. So I would encourage you to listen to a range of different accents and really don't don't be put off if something sounds re- really strange because you're excluding people from being able to understand them and there's a huge variety it's not just the upper class English people who speak English so I would encourage you to listen to as many accents as possible maybe not in the same day but as you go through especially as you get more confident in your listening that's one thing that will make it give you a challenge when you're wanting to focus on your listening is to try different accents and the key in my experience with listening with language learning is persistence You don't have to understand everything. You just keep going. And if you can, repeat. That's the great thing about podcasts, about videos, YouTube, and so on. You can repeat as many times as you want until you get it. And with YouTube, of course, you and Netflix or whatever streaming you use, you can put on the subtitles. You can slow things down and you can speed it up. So I hope that I've demonstrated that there is not just one British accent. There's a huge range of different British accents accents okay now so this is the part two of our myths and stereotypes about written and british people series so unfortunately i'm not going to finish it today because there's just too much i waffled on too long i've put in my clips and i think you will get bored of this topic so we're going to move on to a different topic for next time So thanks very much for listening and remember to join Speak Meters and take part in our video chats, our conversations. It's not like a lesson, it's like having a friendly conversation but with some help. And the next episode, I'll be filling you in on some interesting phrases to help you sound more native. Well, thanks for listening, guys. See you soon. Bye. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. What do you think about today's topic? Remember that you can get in touch by leaving a comment or by joining the Speak Meters community. Follow Speak Meters on Instagram and subscribe to Spoken Like a Native on your favorite podcast platform. You can also leave a comment and like the stream on YouTube or other video platforms. And please leave a review. It really helps us to find new listeners who are looking for fun language learning content. Lastly, but not least, don't forget to head over to speakmeters.com to take part in live conversations hosted by friendly native speakers. See you next time.